The Living Legends Foundation presents Music Day, a verified hit. My name is Skip Dillard with the Living Legends Foundation Advisory Board member and also a radio executive here in New York for many years. I am so blessed, finally. I met her several times. But I get to talk to her, the one and only incredible Valerie Simpson. How are you today? I am so happy to be here to talk to you, Skip. Listen, they, they gave me a list of questions. I, I just got to ask, and, and this is not on my list, just how are you and how did you make it and stay sane through this pandemic? It was not easy. It wasn't easy. But, you know, those two years or two and a half years of isolation kind of made you dig down deep, you mm -hmm. know, and the very fact that, I was losing folks and people were getting sick and it just made me question, you know, am I doing enough if I'm still here? Yeah. Because us survivors are, we should have a new story to tell. Mm. We should dig a little deeper. And you know that uh, anything can happen at any moment. So I look at people different. I see people now mm -hmm. when I didn't always see people. And I look a little further, and when I say, how are you? I'm prepared for you to really give me an answer. Uh -huh. You know, usually you don't, not just fine, <laughs> you know. So, you know, it's a learning thing, a curve came out of this that made me reach down deeper for my own self. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. So we're in a historic place, the Sugar Bar, and, and I just wanted to get a little history there. It's been how many years that we've been here? Well, about 24, 25 years now. Wow. Uh, this restaurant has been going strong, and... Uh, it's Nick Astrid's creation. I oh. wanted no part of it when it first happened. <laughs> he decorated everything and uh, put real things here yeah. for us to feel and enjoy. And uh, But then I ended up having more fun than him, you know? <laughs> so you just don't know where life is going to lead you. Yeah, yeah. You know? well, no. Where did Nick get the passion for a restaurant? This wasn't your, is this wasn't your first place, was no. it? Well, the first one was 2020, down mm -hmm. on 20th Street, and it was a bigger concern and we had a partner and i tell you what i did learn out of that i learned that i could borrow a lot of money i did not know that because the partner's money didn't come through but nick was so interested in the idea of having a restaurant wow that we stepped up to be the major partners yeah in the restaurant so that's when i learned i could borrow money of course you gotta pay it back yeah but you know i did learn that and and i had a lot of fun there too that's so cool. Some of your favorite dishes, like food, food, both of you. Uh, what did Nick eat? What did you like? And what did you guys agree well, on with Nick, for a menu? Nick was a, a, a fish person, and mm -hmm. uh, which is why he kept his figure so well, because uh, he only ate fish and vegetables. Uh, I'm chicken and fish, and, uh, and occasionally, like here at the Sugar Bar, we have our bestseller is a jerk lamb chop. It runs out the door. It is so good. Wow. And we sell so much of it. That is so cool. I mean, it's a it's a wonderful spot. I, and I mean, a who's who of entertainment's been through mm -hmm. here. I know that uh, you've had Clive Davis, the great uh, the great record man. He was you've just here last week. Amazing. Yeah. Who are some of the favorites that have come through here, oh, performed golly. or hung out uh, or surprised you? The times with Quincy Jones have been wonderful. Wow, you yes. know, and Quincy's the kind of person who hangs. Yeah, he does not go home. So you know, three o'clock in the morning, you're saying. Don't you think it's over? <laughs> Aren't you a little bit tired? But he loves to hang. So he's been here. Stevie Wonder, he's another one that has no sense of timing. If you get him on top of a piano, in a piano, yeah. he'll just go. So he's wonderful to have around. And, and just so many, so many people. People, even Nina Simone has been here 
and got up on the stage and did, what did she do? Purple Rain, I shall never forget. Oh. Oh. Got a, I mean, those are moments that you can't even imagine. Did you tape it? They just <laughs> happened. <laughs> wow. You know, live, live. That is you know. unbelievable. Roberta Flack, uh, yeah. I loved it. You know, when we first got started, we weren't all that popular. You know how you get that first party and everybody shows up because it's free? Well, we had that. And then after a while here at the Sugar Bar, you know, wondering, well, where are the folks? You know, what are we going to do? Yeah. Roberta called me up and she said, uh, I want to come down there and do two nights for you mm. for free. Mm. For a free skip. I'm bringing my band and I'm going to come do that for you. I want to do that for you. I, I was like, Nick was flabbergasted. I was flabbergasted. <laughs> And she did. She came here, brought her whole band. They sang. Of course, you know, announcing that she was coming, the place was packed, jammed. Yeah. And, uh, but on the second night, just to tell you, you know, never know where your blessing is coming from. Mm -hmm. The second night, who walks in the door? Denzel Washington. Oh, geez. Come on now. Wow. It don't get no better. No. It didn't get no better for, for her either because she wasn't expecting him, yeah. you know? So it was so wonderful. And then we got press as a result of that. And then from there on, we just grew and grew and grew. Absolutely. But Roberta really wanted us to stay because she lived right down the street at the time. Wow. So, you know, thinking about today's uh, unprecedented movement of, of royalties, masters, publishing, songwriting, you see people to the likes of Bob Dylan and others selling their music for like hundreds of millions of dollars. Why is that happening right now? Why, why are people, why are artists selling their, their songs after a lifetime of, of, of their art? Well, I think after you, you come to a certain place in your life, uh, you can, you can, you know, you think about cashing in, you know, and I think that's probably all it is because these are people who already have money, but they yeah. see this as a golden opportunity. So I can understand how some might feel that way, you know, especially with the market going down. It's probably one of the most interesting investments you can make. I mean, over 50 years, the songs that we wrote are more popular now than they were when we wrote them. Yeah. So that it's a value that holds up. Yeah. So you get that second chance to sell it if you want to sell it. Yeah. You know, I have two daughters, so I'm not in the in the mood to just liquidate right at this moment. In fact, I just started a new publishing company because uh, my uh, administrator is Sony, who bought Jobet. So mm -hmm. they have those early songs. And then after that, I started Nickelback Music yeah. with Nick. So we have the songs from 1978 on. It's a very lush, plush, if you have good songs, if you have songs that can be reinterpreted, mm -hmm. uh, reinvented, you know, like right now, you know, you're all I need to get buyers on Prudential, mm -hmm. you know, and so if you have a song that has a lasting quality, you yeah. can continue to make money for a long time. So, uh, you know, that's something I look forward to giving my daughters. Yeah. And, and you know what, that's, that's beautiful. And, you know, something I always remember coming up, my Older cousins would be in the living room playing songs like Send It, It Needs to Hang On. And I remember, you know, being a kind of mid-80s baby, I, I, well, first time I heard Solid, it was like that was something that my generation immediately jumped on. Mm. And then, you know, with the songs that Nick and you wrote in the 70s, it was interesting because, like, my grandma was listening to it. And mm. it was music that was newer. You know, my grandma was used to all the Afros and, mm. and Nick, but they loved Ashford and Simpson. And... 
what what makes a song what makes songs last what what makes songs intergenerational it's something that we don't see as much today where grandma you know the young kids the middle you don't see that much well i think uh the songs that have a message in them you know where there's a meaning that people they take it and put it in their own lives so if you have a song that can be interpreted uh you know like a reach out and touch it wasn't initially a church song, but it's sung in churches now. So it, it has a leg of its own that it can stand on beyond what we wrote it. Hmm. Uh, and that gives it a long life. Uh, Ain't No Mountain High Enough is, you know, a song of, even though it's written as a love song, it's an aspirational song. It's a, a song that will propel you to fulfill a dream because that's when Nick looked at the buildings and he said, in New York City, ain't no mountain high enough. That's what the buildings looked like to him, that they were going to try to hold him back, but he was determined he was going to make it. Mm. So it has, people almost sense that feeling in it. Yeah. So that's why it gives it a lasting quality. Wow. And, and before we jump in the time machine and kind of go back to the start here, I just had to tell you how much I loved you and Nick's radio show on the oh, old 98.7 KISS FM back in the day. And I was blown away because I'm like, how do they find time to do this? I, like, what, how did that come about? I'm just curious. Oh, uh, well, let's see. Uh, Vinny Brown, mm -hmm. he sought us out. We didn't hear ourselves on the radio. He oh. scouted us almost, <laughs> you know, came to the house and talked it up. Wow. You know, as an idea. And then we tried it on the air, you know, late at night to see whether <laughs> we had feel for it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Nick liked it because he could sit across from me and then say anything he wanted to say, <laughs> you know, and I couldn't say nothing because he was too far away. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun, you know, uh, and it, what it teaches you to do is not to leave any cold air, yeah, loose air. And it, you, you learn how to fill each other's spots and gaps and, you know. Sure. So you, you learn a lot. And then we got to comment on songs that we really liked. Yeah. And you, you come up with stories and stuff. So it was, it was like storytelling, you know. Yeah. And then we had, did you ever see us do the uh, the live I did thing? a couple of yeah, them, yeah. I mean, we mm -hmm. had that on the radio. So we had yeah. like Wilson picking on the radio, yeah. singing live, yeah, sing me playing the piano, yeah. Yeah. you know. Uh, Patti LaBelle, you know, Luther Vandross. We got folks who do stuff they don't even do. So wow. that was fun. It, it turned it into something else. After all the years of writing songs for radio and, and helping artists get on, did doing radio change your perception of the medium any? What, what were you, any surprises for you getting on the mic in, in that fashion? Well, it just made me more appreciate how, how difficult it is to, to keep it going, you mm. know, and, and what you have to do. It, it just made me appreciate the time that goes into the behind the scenes time that goes into it. I never thought about it before. Interesting. So let's jump in the time machine and go back. You're a New Yorker you, and I've heard you, what amazes me is that as much as I've heard you sing, I've had a chance to listen to you play the piano at, at, at events and you know, it's rare that you find someone that sings and plays, a, you know, Aretha Franklin probably be a great mm, example. Oh yeah, it really is a, a pianist. What what led you to the piano? How did you how did you get there? As a, as a you know, it's interesting. My grandmothers, both of them, had pianos in there, and nobody to play them. Wow. So I guess I was born, and that was what I was supposed to do, because they both had pianos, and I just sat at the piano and I knew how to play. It's like nobody had to teach me. I could make it sound grown up when I was very young. I was wow. like. 
five, and then I later learned how to read notes, but initially mm -hmm. it was just my lucky thing that yeah. I could do, you know. And then when you, you know, when you play by air and you play in the church, because one of my grandmothers was a minister, hmm. uh, you get really good training because those sisters, they start in one key, then yeah. they jump to another key. Yeah, they do. And you don't want to make them sound bad, so you got to <laughs> jump with them. So, you know, I learned a lot from playing gospel in church. Interesting. So tell me a bit about um, uh, poetry, songwriting. Where did that come in? The songwriting really came in through Nick, through, uh, because I wasn't writing songs before Nick Ashford. I was playing in the church, but when he came to visit from out of town, he wrote gospel songs, and uh, we were asked to write some gospel songs for my group. So because I played, and he he had words, you know, yeah. it was just a natural thing. So we that let me know. I, I didn't even think you could make money writing songs. I really <laughs> didn't. Nobody in my family was in music, so it's something that happened later on, you know, but... The songwriting started with gospel songs, yeah. Tell me about the first time you met Nick. What was that like? And oh, what, were your, he, what were your initial thoughts? Well, <laughs> he was a stranger from out of town. Somebody invited him to our church because mm -hmm. he was looking for a free meal because uh, <laughs> he was homeless. Wow. He was homeless. I remember reading that. And uh, so he came up, and we didn't know the backstory. Yeah. But we did find out that he wrote these gospel songs. So we just clicked. I thought it was cute, but mm -hmm. he thought I was like, I was still in high school, a little too young for him at the time. Wow. He had too much to do. <laughs> you know how I go. <laughs> and and it's what amazes me is that you know we have seen musical marriages over the years. Mm -hmm. Whitney, Bobby, we can go down the list. How did you guys turn it on and turn it off? Because as husband and wife, I mean, like, were you guys just waking up at 3 a.m.? I got the song, you know. How, how were you able to make it work? Because it would drive most people crazy after a while, you know. Well, you know, it was eight years or nine years before we had a romance. We were just yeah. partners. Yeah. Doing other things, seeing other people. But because of the closeness of the writing, yeah. we got to know each other. And that's probably what most couples don't even do. Mm -hmm. We got to know each other, not with a romance in it. Yeah. So you know the real person, you sure. know, and, and you appreciate that person. They know all your faults. <laughs> and you can't even, you know, fool them because you're not trying to come on to them. <laughs> so that I think that really helped us when we finally looked at each other and decided that you know there was something more to it yeah it could be people used to say that all the time but i didn't believe them i was hmm. always like my brother and then nick said later on that used to get on his nerves <laughs> yes, but that's what that. i said because that's the way i felt yeah. you know until yeah. i took off the blinders and saw him for who he really was you know a great mm -hmm. guy you know yeah what point was your 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 big break that you feel like we actually can make a career out of this you know it's not just fun, a hobby, or this is serious? Well, we were invited to write love songs, and then we started with a, a, a young lady, Jossie Jo Armstead, mm -hmm. and we were writing to getting together to write love songs, and then mm -hmm. uh, that lasted for about two years. Mm -hmm. And then we took a song to a publisher, uh, Let's Go Get Stoned, mm -hmm. and we thought Ray it was Charles. a joke, <laughs> because oh, wow. uh, we didn't have what we called a good song that day. Yeah. But we went in there and Nick said, well, let's just do what we did when we were walking out the door of the rehearsal hall. And that's the chorus that we had struck up. Let's go get stoned. Wow. 
and we were going to have, you know, a drink and some <laughs> ice cream. And uh, the publisher said, but if you finish that, I think that would be a great song for Ray Charles. Unbelievable. And and you had a manager for years. Was it Miss T, I believe? or She was our associate. Associate. Yeah. yeah. So how, did yeah. That, how did that come about? Because she was the right hand for a long time. She, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you run into somebody and you just know they have a, a certain way about them. Yeah. And I recognized that in her, uh, that she could just do anything. Wow. She was working for, I think, Bond would tell us at the time. Mm -hmm. But there was something about her, and then she dressed good, and she had these cute shoes on, and and just. But she would step forward and step back. She didn't have a problem, you know, wow. stepping back, yeah. and uh, and taking care of things, big things and little things. Mm -hmm. You know, most people just want to do the big thing, yeah. but she could do it all, and uh, so we recognized that in her, and. So many people tried to steal her from us later on. You know? Yeah, that's that's amazing. So you're writing like crazy. Next thing I know, you know, we know you're on television, you're on tours. How did um, you go from a songwriting duo to the stage to dancing to playing on stage and doing award shows? How did that transition? Well, you know, somebody gave our names to... Uh, Holland Ocean Holland, mm -hmm. and they came looking for songwriters. And so when we got to Motown, mm -hmm. the seven years there, you know, was like going to college. Yeah. That was truly like being in school. Wow. Because Barry Gordy was just a genius, you know. Yeah. He knew how to make you competitive with other songwriters. He made mm -hmm. sure we all knew what the other one was doing. He wanted you to hear each other, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it just made you hone your craft. Yeah. And so after the seven years of writing, and then we had those hits there, uh, we figured, well, we wanted to move into the singing mm -hmm. because we did all our demos and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we'd been there for seven years and been successful. Yeah. So they didn't see us as songwriters. I mean, as uh, singers, singers yeah. just as songwriters. songwriters yeah. So uh, it, then we decided it was time to go. You know, was it. if we're going to take a leap, we got to just have faith and go forward, you mm -hmm. know. Any particular artists really inspire you that you were given to work on, work with, that you weren't sure if it would work out for them, but they surprised you or maybe pleasantly surprised you? Any any particular artists that come to mind? We had, you know, some of the greatest. So mm -hmm. it, I think who inspired us the most was, was Marvin Gaye. Wow. He, he was just so giving. He was just yeah. so gracious, so pulling toward whoever he was singing with, because we had him doing the duet mm. thing, and he would just pull something out of these girls. And and just seeing him in the studio, he didn't carry on on stage the way he'd carry on in the studio. Wow. We'd sit there and think we were watching a show, because he was so <laughs> wonderful, you know? That's cool. And so it, we admired that a lot about him, that he, to see him, uh, no jealousy, and no, I gotta hit the best note, or the highest note, or anything. Yeah. He'd just get those girls to sing. Wow. Wow. And so um, a couple of our board members remember the big white parties you throw oh at your gosh. house in Connecticut. And, and tell us a little bit about that. They said it's something special and it always well, meant a lot to them. Well, this is before Puppy. Before <laughs> <laughs> Puppy got up there. Before he got, gave his, we were given house in Westport, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And we had some of the, just the greatest times in it got to the point where, you know, we turned the tennis court into a a dance, you know, we 
call in a live band and then turn the whole tennis court into a dance area in the evening. And you knew you were successful because the police would always come. And they, they couldn't wait to get there. But uh, also later on, we would do a, like a show around the pool. Yeah. And Maya Angelou would, would narrate, uh, you know, we tell her what the theme was and she just, you know, she could just talk. So she would just announce you coming on and, and have comments and stuff. So it, it was so much fun. Yeah. It really was a lot yeah. of fun. How did you make it through the disco years? Because a lot of artists kind of got caught up trying to make songs for the dance floor while there was plenty to dance to. The music was so meaningful and it, it you know where some music became dated ashford and simpson continued well and you know the the 70s hits were the 80s hits as well it, you know it, it, how, did, how did that work we, out? we what we did was we tried to put a message in in the lyric like found a cure yeah you know it had the disco beat but it was still a message if you listen to it you know and that was like doing the aids crisis too so it was like inspirational to them you know mm. Uh, something to hold on to. How do you make a remake? <laughs> Many artists attempt it. Uh, you know, I hear, you know, American Idol and others, and, yeah. and you know, some come better than others. What what makes a remake? Well, song, you know? know, with Ain't No Mountain, uh, the initial Marvin Gaye and Tammy was one way. And then mm -hmm. when we produced it on Diana, and it was her solo album yeah. as she left the Supremes. So we knew we had to do something special to it yeah. in order for her to do it. And so we lengthened it added in new words, the talking. She had a great speaking voice. We added in the talking and stuff. And that song still closes her show. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of those kind of songs. It closed the Broadway show, you know. Yes. So it's yeah. a song, it's a closer. You know, certain songs can do it. Yeah. And you can depend on them. So uh, I was very, very happy. You know, we got to get you, of course, a star. You and Nick deserve that star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Jackie Reinhardt made sure I wanted to get that in there. So we got to work on that. Well, for you know, it's something that we never <laughs> really thought about. Yeah. You know, there's something when you're a songwriter and you're, you know, remember when there used to be records, the songwriter's name was so small mm. on the record. And I think that that kind of stays with you if you all continue to write songs yeah. that you still think of yourself as the the backbone and the cushion and this and that yeah so I'm, even though we became artists it was a secondary step yeah so i, I don't really think of myself as an artist i don't because i think of myself as a producer before i think of myself as an artist so it's it's a funny thing you know i mean I, i'm thrilled that somebody thinks about me but i wasn't thinking about myself yeah. So you've done a little bit of Broadway, I understand. Tell me yeah. about that experience. That was a humbling and interesting experience in the sense that you never know uh, what's going to happen anywhere you go. You don't know. I, I don't know that somebody in this room might be able to do something for me. You know, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. So you just have to be on your P's and Q's all the time. I was at Clive Davis's home. Yeah. And he came up, it was the cocktail hour. He came over to me and he said, uh, Valerie, Alicia Keys was supposed to be here, but she can't make it. Can you go over to the piano and just do a little something, something? I'm like, I'm holding my glass now, <laughs> having my drink. <laughs> but it's Claude Davis, he's my friend. He's looked out for me all these years. So what could I say? I'll do something. Wow. So I go over to the piano, I sit uh... down. I said, Lord, help me. And I did a, a short version of Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing. Mm. 
and I used him in that of him being authentic and oh, original. Man. And then I went into Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Not too long. And then this man comes over to me and he says, you know, I could see you in my play. I said, what is your play? He said, Chicago. I could see you as Mama Morton. I said, really? Because I wasn't seeing it, you know? <laughs> and it just seemed so far-fetched. I always thought of Mama Morton, you know, as some big, you know. He said, a quality that you have, I can see you as Mama Morton. Yeah. So for a couple of weeks, I did not get back to him. And then I asked somebody, and they said, yeah, I could see that too. And I called him, and then his wife, Fran, that was Barry Washler, his wife, Fran, she uh, auditioned me. And the next thing you know, I was standing on the side of the stage getting ready to walk on as Mama Morton, just like that. You know? Wow. And and so with uh, we got MJ on Broadway. They had The Temptations. I, I saw Motown the musical. Uh, any interest in a, 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 a Nick and Valerie uh, Broadway production it's here? It's been like, talked around a little bit uh, yeah, here I, and there. I, I, yeah, I and, but I think I'm gonna. Uh, I think I'm, I'm. I'm working on telling some of the stories. I'm. I'm. I'm writing them down now. It does seem important enough to yeah. to write down. Oh my you know, and that two and a half years, you know, kind of pointed that out to me. Wow. That it's time to write down. There's some golden memories there that really need to be put pen to the page and so I'm, I'm in the midst of doing that yeah how many songs have you published over the years would you estimate? I have no idea yeah I, have no idea. Yeah, I know what where we 22 platinum and gold albums I think to your credit that's what I what really? I, was I, <laughs> I don't keep up with that kind of stuff <laughs> that's wonderful Let, let's talk a bit and bring it back to today and talk about today's artist you know I, I was talking to an independent artist a couple of weeks ago and she said you know it's feast or famine she said either you're Beyonce or you're Cardi B or you're at SOBs down the street trying to figure it out and get discovered. Um, what advice would you give to that young artist that's trying to, to make a way? I know things are a lot different. We don't go by album sales. It's a streaming world, technology, yeah, mobile sure. phones. Well, I think in a way they have a great advantage uh, because of the streaming and the, the internet where in tonight you can put something up and millions of people may, if you put up the right thing, people can get on to you quickly. Yeah. You know, so that's a that's a advice we did not, you know, have available to us. We were beholden to the record company waiting for them to push a song, you know what I yeah. mean? But so now you can do much more on your own and then the record company comes looking for you because they see something you you're showing them what you are. Uh so I think that's an advantage really, you know, and I I see a lot of uh a lot of that happening, you know. Mm -hmm. And then even back then in the day when I started, you know, there wasn't no uh, The Voice or, yeah. you know, all that. These things are there now, you know. And it's, there are advantages, you know, that they have mm -hmm. that we didn't have. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So you and Nick traveled around the world, but you always have found your way back to New York. What What is it about New York that makes this place so I was special? born in New York, yeah. you know. So, there, you know, it's, it's exciting still to me. Um, and uh, so everywhere else is just a visit. Hmm. It just yeah. is, you know. <laughs> so in terms of some future goals, anything you wanted to share that you... you well, I just on? started a new publishing company uh, with yeah. my uh, daughters. And 
I'm gonna, you know, I'm putting in some songs that are that just say Valerie Simpson. All right. Nice. Yeah. Well, listen, I just want to take the time out to thank you on behalf of the Living Legends Foundation. You're just such an inspiration to my family, the, the foundation, and the world with, with your music. It just touched us through other artists, through both of you, and, and we miss Nick, but we're so happy we have you with oh, us, and, and you. we love thank you. you and we're going to enjoy the sugar bar and enjoy the food and beverages and, and have a good time, but just absolutely a blessing to have a chance to sit and talk to you finally. My pleasure. Thank you. Music Day, a verified hit. Associate producers Jackie Reinhardt, Barnell Johnson, Vivian Scott Chu, Mark Hill, Tony Winger, Sheila Eldridge, Pat Shields, Ken Johnson, and Shannon Henderson. This has been a Living Legends Foundation, Inc. production. Find out more about the Living Legends Foundation, Inc. or donate at livinglegendsfoundation.com.